The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, turns out humans have been cooking and enjoying carbs for much longer than we initially thought. And the experiments some archaeologists have been conducting to lend credence to their hypotheses are very cool. Plus, welcome to the weird and wonderful world of competitive water drinking on YouTube. And a startup that wants to make earthbound deliveries by taking a shortcut through space. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So I don't really know why, but a few months ago, I decided to start making my own bread instead of buying it. I guess I was really feeling those early pandemic vibes, or maybe I was getting in touch with a much earlier period in our humanity, one that, it turns out, even predates the Neolithic Revolution and the domestication of crops. And while it's usually assumed that ancient humans living over 10,000 years ago subsisted mostly on animals they hunted, recent research suggests that they relied far more on grains in the form of things like porridge, stew, and more than we previously thought, even if those grains may not have been domesticated. Further research indicates that early humans were eating starchy plants 100,000 years ago, which, as a recent write-up in Nature kind of throws shade at, would undermine the thesis of the pain. All of this new research in recent years comes a lot from DNA analysis and the examination of microscopic markings on artifacts. Much of it is being led by Laura Dietrich from the German Archaeological Institute in Berlin. Quoting Nature, In archaeology, it's much easier to spot evidence of meat meals than ones based on grains or other plants. That's because the bones of the butchered animals fossilize much more readily than do the remains of a vegetarian feast. The fragile nature of ancient plant remains makes archaeobotany, the study of how ancient people used plants, tricky, time-consuming work. Researchers use sieves, fine mesh, and buckets to wash and separate debris from archaeological sites. Tiny bits of organic material such as seeds, charred wood, and burnt food float to the top while heavier dirt and rocks sink. The vast majority of what emerges amounts to the raw ingredients, the bits that never made it into a pot. By identifying and counting grass seeds, grain kernels, and grape pips mixed into the soil, archaeobotanists can tell what was growing in the area around a settlement. Unusual amounts of any given species offer circumstantial evidence that those plants might have been used and perhaps cultivated by people in the past. End quote. We've historically been able to tell if a plant was domesticated by comparing the shape and genetics of one artifact to a wild one, and if they differ enough, domestication probably occurred. 
But when trying to identify that cooking had happened, you often have to look for evidence of something having burned and charred. So you're really looking for all of the cooking mistakes of millennia past. Quoting again, To find supporting evidence in the archaeological record, Cynthia Larby, an archaeobotanist at the University of Cambridge, turned to cooking hearths at sites in South Africa dating back 120,000 years, picking out chunks of charred plant material, some the size of a peanut. Under the scanning electron microscope, she identified cellular tissue from starchy plants, the earliest evidence of ancient people cooking starch. Right through from 120,000 to 65,000 years ago, they're cooking roots and tubers, Larby says. The evidence is remarkably consistent, she adds, particularly compared with animal remains from the same site. Over time, they change hunting techniques and strategies, but still continue to cook and eat plants. Early humans probably ate a balanced diet, leaning on starchy plants for calories when game was scarce or hard to find, and being able to find carbohydrates as they moved into new ecologies would have provided important staple foods, Larby adds, end quote. This starchy diet is supported by findings from geneticists in 2016 that found we humans have more copies of the gene that produces enzymes to digest starch than other primates, whereas chimpanzees have two copies of those genes, Humans have 20. Based on analysis of dental plaque, it looks like even Neanderthals were eating a good amount of plants, including starchy grains. Advances in technology are certainly helping power all of these discoveries, but another element of it is a desire by some archaeologists to focus more on household activities, everyday lives, and the stories of people left out of the history books. As Sarah Graff, an archaeologist at Arizona State University in Tempe, put it, quote, Essentially, we're trying to figure out what kind of information you can find out about people who've never had histories written about them. End quote. In the past, there was often a temptation to look at some of the microscopic residue of food on pottery shards at sites and declare them unanalyzable, probable food, or just toss them out. Now, more and more archaeologists are recognizing the skill that went into food preparation even tens of thousands of years ago, and what those cooking processes can tell us about both ancient plants and the development of human life. To further help uncover some of these mysteries, archaeobotanist Sultana Valamati has been recreating ancient dishes in the lab for two decades. She'll grind and boil grains like bulgur and char it in an oven in a simulation of one of those cooking mistakes. She then compares her lab experiments to ancient remains under a microscope and is able to match up and identify different cooking processes that were used way back when. Dietrich has taken it in a different direction. She recreates the tools found at sites and uses her recreations on similar grains, like wheat kernels, spending hours grinding the kernels on black basalt and then examining what the grindstone looks like afterwards so she can confirm what various tools would look like after having been used on similar cooking practices. And in addition to porridge and bread, some of these studies have also found early evidence of beer being brewed. So Dietrich and her team brewed up some of that as well. Quote, Neolithic beer from a hand-ground germinated grain or malt in an open vessel. End quote. I am so into the idea of recreating ancient beers. A decade ago, Dogfish Head Brewery used to do a special series of ancient ales in which they partnered with molecular archaeologist Patrick McGovern to recreate beers from a 9,000-year-old tomb in China, from the personal stores of King Midas, and more. They are seriously so cool, but sadly not available anymore. I want so badly for Dogfish Head to re-release those or bring back the program. But until then, I guess I can just 
just appreciate the wealth of research coming out of these sites about how long we humans have been carb-loving fools. really know how this happens, but I have somehow always gravitated towards groups of people online who love water. Whether it's the Hydro Homies subreddit, an old now fizzing page on Facebook for seltzer enthusiasts, or my obnoxious love of every single thing that Liquid Death Mountain Water produces. But one water micro-community I hadn't actually dipped my toe into is competitive water drinkers on YouTube. Vice profiled them a couple of years ago, and when the article came across my feed the other day, it really blew my mind. They're called drinkers, and they're YouTube creators who literally just drink water. They'll post hundreds or thousands of videos, often just a few seconds long, of them doing nothing more than drinking water. This is the kind of bonkers YouTube content that I really appreciate. You know, stuff that's not optimized for any kind of algorithm, it's not playing the game, there's no fancy thumbnails or titles, it's just a totally basic concept fully committed to. Clickhole used to be really great at this. When YouTube expanded their upload times to multiple hours back in 2014, Clickhole posted a three-hour video of butter softening. The title was very 2014. This stick of butter is left down at room temperature. You won't believe what happens next. The video has one and a half million views. David Lynch is doing a good job of repopularizing a similar form of this content. He's been posting daily weather reports since the start of the pandemic. He literally just sits in his office and tells you about the weather outside his house for about 30 seconds. Sometimes he'll add in some extra thoughts. And more recently, he started posting number of the day videos in which he repeats the same lines every day and pulls a ball numbered 1 through 10 out of a jar. That's it. That's the video. I don't quite get it. And I don't think I'm really supposed to. And that's why I love it. And that's kind of how it is with the drinkers community of water drinkers on YouTube. Except that they aren't just uploading to avoid, like some offbeat creators, or working with an established brand like Lynch and Clickhole. They've built and continue to foster a whole community of semi-competitive water drinkers. And while the videos are simple, just a person drinking on average 500 milliliters of water, the community and the norms run deep. It's all about getting as many drinks in as possible, without hurting yourself by drinking too much water. There's a community Google Doc where they keep a leaderboard of how much each person has drunk. It's one water per video, and there are combined over 30,000 videos, just for people active enough in the community to get in the Google Doc. Quoting Vice, The success rate for becoming a prolific drinker is quite low. Like a marathon runner, the majority of upstart drinkers hit a wall, usually around 100 bottles of water, and close their channel. And while there are many who start the journey into drinking, few still walk the path. A list of drinkers past and present kept by the group members shows that of the 88 people they know who've attempted to become drinkers, less than 20 really make a go of it. If you're going to be a water drinker, you can't just go in all willy-nilly. You do kind of have to follow some rules. It's not just laissez-faire hydration out there. The rules, of which there seems to only be two, work more or less on an honor system. First, and most importantly, you have to drink water. One drinker told Vice that he drank Pepsi in one video and was scorned by another drinker. And secondly, you should drink 500 milliliters in your videos as a way to keep it fair to the other drinkers. End quote. So it can get pretty precise. I was also surprised to learn that while some of it consider a big part of their lives, one person said it came up within the first 10 minutes of a first date, others are kind of embarrassed when friends or family find out. John Harchick, kind of the patriarch of 
the community and still the top drinker on the leaderboard, told Vice, quote, For some reason, tens of thousands of strangers seeing something is very different than people close to you seeing it. End quote. Which I really get. I've been posting YouTube videos in various capacities since I was 16. That'll be half my life in a few months. And some of them are on pretty personal topics. Long ago, I had to reckon with that, the disconnect between the comfort I felt with the little online community I had and the reality that posting videos for them were necessarily public and therefore discoverable by anybody. You know, my family, middle school teachers, old college roommates. There's something about interacting with strangers, or strangers who you discover a commonality with, where you can feel more comfortable expressing the parts of yourself that maybe you don't feel comfortable doing around people in your day-to-day -day life yet. I felt this a lot back in high school. I grew up acting on stage in community and regional theaters and never had much stage fright or any issues with performing to strangers. But when I got to high school and started performing in shows with my peers, I was petrified. I would totally choke at auditions. I couldn't get over how embarrassing it would be to perform poorly and then have to see the director again as my seventh period teacher or my fellow cast members or auditionees in math class that afternoon. Yeah, I think the internet has been so great at giving people an outlet, and sometimes a community, where they can explore parts of themselves that they aren't ready to test drive in front of friends or loved ones who might level judgment or ask too many questions. Case in point, despite how competitive the water drinkers can be, at the end of the day, they are all there for one another. Quoting again from Vice, This is a community, and the drinkers, whether it be through email or online comments, talk regularly. They congratulate each other when someone hits a milestone and encourage each other to keep going. In fact, they've even collaborated to ring in 2019's New Year with John's 7,442nd video. In it, a collection of the top water drinkers count down to the New Year and a montage of them drinking and telling their fans to stay hydrated. They're a welcoming and exceedingly positive group, leaving positive comments in the videos of newbies and inviting people to join them. As one water drinker puts it, the group works with a the more the merrier philosophy, end quote. I will never get enough of seeing people come together over shared niche interests and choose to support each other rather than tear each other down. Just like their stripped-down, no-branding-to-speak-of aesthetics, the commitment to fostering a community rather than stirring drama makes this group of water drinkers a reflection of the best parts of YouTube and the internet, a part that can be kind of hard to find sometimes these days. But it is absolutely still there, if you're lucky enough to stumble on it. What if you could get a New York slice fresh from the city in San Francisco within 45 minutes? Or a life-saving artificial organ could be delivered to an operating room within just a few hours? That's the dream of a company called Inversion Space. They believe that space is the next frontier for delivery and delivery-style storage lockers in orbit. Quoting Interesting Engineering, The startup aims to transport small payloads up to space via traditional rocket launches, where they will then be stored in a small orbital case. Inversion Space's concept would essentially create a library of on-demand payloads in orbital space. When the contents of those space cases are required, they're quickly deployed back into Earth's atmosphere like a comet at 25 times the speed of sound. A parachute then deploys a short while before touchdown, allowing for a smooth landing in a designated region. End quote. 
And from the New York Times, what Inversion is trying to do is not easy. Designing a vehicle for re-entry is a different engineering challenge than sending things up to space. When a capsule enters the atmosphere from space, it's traveling at such high speeds that there's the danger of burning up, a huge risk for human travelers and precious non-human cargo alike. Sita Raghavan, a professor of the University of Central Florida's Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering Department, said it would be even more difficult to handle the heat, vibration, and deceleration of the capsule when the vehicle size shrank. Inversion's plan for capsules in orbit raises questions as well about whether it will contribute to congestion in space, already a problem with the mega-constellations of satellites. And the abundance of satellites interfering with observations of planets, stars, and other celestial bodies has been a common complaint among astronomers. But Inversion said it was using materials to make its capsules significantly less reflective to decrease visual pollution. In addition, the company said its capsule would come with systems to avoid debris and collisions in orbit, end quote. The 23-year-old co-founders include a former SpaceX intern, and the company is currently a part of Y Combinator, having raised $10 million in its first five months with the startup incubator. But a big part of their business model depends on the continuing trend of rocket launches becoming cheaper and cheaper. The Times notes that the cost of launching a one-kilogram payload to space has fallen 90% in the last three decades, and that SpaceX's Starship rocket is expected to push costs down even more. And even more good news for Inversion Space is that their capsules are significantly smaller than a full-size spacecraft. They'll be about 4 feet in diameter. The test ones right now are smaller, just about 20 inches in diameter. They look kind of like bulky room service plate covers. Honestly, I am not entirely sure how I feel about this, but the science is interesting for sure, and interesting engineering kind of summed it up quite bluntly, quote, It's a pretty far-fetched proposition, but that's the private space sector for you. End quote. Well, that's all I got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. 
It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.